0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you. Um, Okay, so let me ask you a question this morning. How much is enough? How much is enough? Well, it depends, right? It depends on the things that we're talking about. If we're talking about cookies, like Oreo cookies, you know, I don't know if you ever read the back of a label of the Oreo cookies. It says two to three cookies. Now, Who in the world only grabs two to three cookies like that? I just, I don't understand that. But hey, you know, if it's me, it's really like a game of, wow, how many did I really eat? Um, I I probably not finished this entire pack. But what about ice cream? I love ice cream. Ice cream's like my jam. Okay, so did you know that a serving size is half a cup of ice cream? (laughs) If you're in this room and you only scoop half a cup of ice cream... I don't, I don't even understand who you are. Like, I, it doesn't even compute. I, it's really just a game of don't eat the entire half gallon for me. But maybe, maybe sweets aren't your thing, right? Maybe it's bacon. You guys like bacon? Yeah. One strip of bacon is a serving size. Who in the world eats one strip of bacon? You mean to tell me you're nursing that piece of bacon the entire morning? I doubt that. I feel like I eat one hot off the, fry, the, off the grease, and then I have two more with two or three more with breakfast, and then I reward myself at the end for making all the bacon <laughs> with one more piece, right? That's, that's how it's it, yeah, breach. But, it, but, but, but how much is enough, really? I mean, could I really eat the entire pack of Oreos? Maybe, maybe. But I, would I be content? Probably not. What about ice cream? I do love ice cream, but I probably wouldn't be content or even happy at all after eating half a gallon or even bacon, right? I mean, maybe I could eat the entire pack of bacon. That's probably not even a question, but, but I, I could do that, but I would f- be filled with regret um, and then also other things that I probably shouldn't put inside my body. But what about your stuff? What about your things? Like some of the things that you own. Are you a collector? Maybe you feel like there's no such thing as enough when it comes to the things that you collect, right? I can make more space for that. What about money? That always feels a little weird to say because I can see the nonverbal shift and adjustment in the room. How much is enough? That's a difficult question, I think, because if you don't feel very wealthy or if you struggle financially, or if you're hurting, you might feel like there's no such thing as enough right now. Just keep it coming. As long as it keeps coming, I'll let you know if it's good enough. Let me ask you a question related to that. Do you know anybody in your life that is content? Do you know anybody that's in your life who's discontent? Don't answer that question right now. Are either of those people you? Are you a content person? Are you really content with where you are right now? With who you are right now? Are you content with what you have? Are you content with what you don't have? Well, if you truly are a content person because maybe there's some of you in here and I'm not here, I'm not going to argue with any liars in here, but if you truly are content, in all things, with all things, then why is everyone else around you so discontent? See, today we're in the third part of our series titled, The Emotions of Money. Today, our topic is called, Contentment in a World of Discontent. Whether you are aware of it or not, our culture our culture, yours and mine, breeds discontentment. On average, we see anywhere upwards to 6,000 to 10,000 ads. And that doesn't include the billboards that we drive past or the posters we see on windows. The sole purpose of these advertisements is to make us think that we just need a little bit more. That enough is really not enough. That contentment really isn't an option. You need more of it. That we, that we, can only be truly happy or, or satisfied if we have what they're selling. We are constantly being told, convinced, persuaded, coaxed into thinking that we deserve something better, something bigger. And when you finally get these things, then you'll finally be happy, right? That's the, that's the end-all goal. We'll finally touch contentment. That's the message that we're constantly hearing. So it made me wonder, I don't think I even know what contentment means. So I looked it up, definition of contentment. It says this, and satisfaction. Okay, it's exactly what I thought it was. All right, that's, that was not a shocker. But then I looked up, I think sometimes it helps us to understand the antonym of certain definitions. So I looked up discontentment. And it says this, a lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. A lack A deficiency, an absence, a feeling of dissatisfaction with what you have. With what you own, what you earn, and what you've been given. Is that you? Benjamin Franklin once said this, contentment makes a poor man rich. Discontentment makes a rich man poor. It sounds like a true statement. Sounds about right. But I'm not sure we want to believe it. Like money can be a very sensitive issue for every single person. Peter Drucker once said that you tell me what you value and I might believe you. But I'm not sure. Well, it says, but show me your calendar and your bank statement. And I'll show you what you really value. Basically, our time and our money will tell us a lot about what we value but it will also reveal levels of discontentment that may not that we may not be, even be aware of or even know the effect that it's having on our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with people. Thankfully, with Scripture, we find that God's people struggle with the exact same things that we struggle. It's always so consoling to know that I'm not the only one, right? That's, that feels good. Okay, cool. We're both making terrible decisions, but... Um, I want to spend some time in Exodus chapter 16. Um, so, some, so some of you might be familiar with this passage, but up until this point in Exodus, God had used Moses to lead his people through the Red Sea and into the wilderness where they were so excited to be in the wilderness, right? Right? No, no, they weren't. They weren't just excited. If, if you've ever felt discontentment with what you own or what you earn or what you've been given, you're not the first and you won't be the last person. But as we unpack this passage, I want you to know that this also doesn't have to be you. We can actually learn from the mistakes of others or we can continue doing what we always do and repeat those mistakes. So, but before we get to Exodus 16, I just want you to look at one little passage in Exodus 14 that says this, verse 31, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Okay, just a recap. What do we know from just one verse? We know that God's power had been unleashed against the Egyptians. We know that the Lord's people saw it happen, and they were filled with awe of God. Wow, God, this is amazing. I'm walking through the sea. You know, then they proceeded to put their faith, their belief, their trust, their loyalty, right, in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Okay, cool. Very clear. God saw or God's people saw what God can do. They were in awe. And then they put their faith in God and trust him, right? They even trust Moses, right? He's their leader. They even sang a song about it in the following verses, in the beginning of 15. This sounds great, right? This is going to be so much fun. We went to the Red Sea. We're in the wilderness. Things are going to go so smoothly. Let's keep reading. Exodus 15, verse 22. It says this, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. See you later, Red Sea. And they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled into the desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses throws it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. And it was there at Mara that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. See, things, things were going well. They sang songs of delight, but now they realize they're in a desert and they're traveling for a few days, right? And they haven't found any water, so they're thirsty. And they come across this oasis and the water's too bitter to drink. And then things start to unravel a little bit, right? You've ever been hangry? That's like just a bit, a little bit. Like this, they're, they're, they're really, really thirsty. People start complaining, and they turn against their leader, Moses. So Moses, their leader, he said the one, the one that's, again, just decided, they, they decided to put their confidence in, that guy, their leader, they now turned on him too. But then what does Moses do in that moment? He turns to God, and God provides. But God was doing much more than providing for his people in that moment. He was giving them a test. Not a test of loyalty, you know, for him to see how loyal they are, but a test to reveal to themselves how much they actually trusted God. Okay, so now we're in verse, or chapter 16. Look at verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They were excited to follow God. Remember the one who rescued them? Remember remember that? And then displayed his power and might and they were in awe and they declared their allegiance to God and their leader, Moses. They sang a song, they celebrated, but it didn't take very long for the first trap that leads to discontentment. And I want to talk about three traps that can lead to our discontentment that we find here in scripture. And the first one is this, complaining. How many of you know a complainer? I only got like three last, last service. Okay, so if your significant other is raising their hand, let me give you a, let you in a little secret. It's you. You probably know that already. Aren't complainers the best to have around? They bring so much fun and it's like a breath of fresh air. We love complainers. No, we hate them. We don't like them. They, we want we want to leave the room. We want to get duct tape, put it on their mouth. Stop talking, right? Why? Because complaining breeds a level of discontentment. And it spills into our language and into our minds and into our hearts and into our souls. And if discontentment spills and spoils the soul, the damage that it can do on someone's life and the people around them can have ripple effects for the rest of your life and maybe even theirs. I've sat with many couples over the years and some of the biggest breakdowns are a lack of healthy communication, oftentimes, but also right up there are financial issues, money. But it's what's been bred in their environment. Maybe they couldn't control what they grew up in, but then it's just continued into their environment. And there's this overwhelming, over, overwhelmingly focus on what they don't have, this lack Another trap that leads to discontentment is found in verse 3 of chapter 16. It says this, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. What? They moaned that there we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Extreme. You know anybody that's extreme? Right here. You know one if you don't. God. If only God just killed us back in Egypt. This is ridiculous. They, they said things like, at least there we were able to sit around a bunch of pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now we're stuck here starving in the wilderness. Again, they were just singing songs of delight. They were in awe of God. And now not only are they complaining about their current situation, they then look back to the past and they compare what they had versus what they have now. And that's number two. The entire message today could just be on that. We could spend a series just on comparison. But here's the thing about humanity. Whenever we look at the beauty of the past, the simplicity of the past, we often forget the trauma of the past. We forget about the pain. And when we forget about the bondage that was in our past life, we can be caught in this comparison. Egypt wasn't the promised land for these people. Don't know if you are aware of that, but Egypt wasn't the promised land. Egypt was where they were enslaved. They were slaves, They lived under a tyrant for generations. Did they have food and bread? Yeah, sure, and so do most people in prison. But these people of God were so stuck in the past that they couldn't see what God was doing or what God was capable of doing or what, what God was going to do right then and there because the discontentment in their life blinded them from seeing it. It completely blinded them. You ever catch yourself... I don't know, driving on the road, and you see something that, uh, well, I'd like to have that. You know, maybe it's a car or a boat or a house or someone else's life. I mean, it could be a number of those things. Or maybe you're, you, know, you, get your, you catch yourself on social media and you see a friend that goes on a trip, right? Oh, that's a beautiful trip, man. I wish I went on a trip like that. Or they get the, new key, the keys to the new house. You're like, you know what? I'm so excited for Stacy. I'm so proud of them. You know what? I'm going to give Bill a call and say, hey, can I bring something over to just celebrate? A nice housewarming gift. Do we do that? Maybe you do. Are those our first thoughts? Eh, maybe they are. But if they're not, why not? Well, I believe because we're saturated in a culture of discontentment and we don't even realize it. So when it comes to what we own and what we earn and what we've been given, we're not as grateful as we once were. In fact, the level of entitlement actually goes up. We start to think that we actually deserve something like that too. And for some, this can happen even when you get the raise that you wanted, right? You might, have been, you, might, you might even begin to feel like, finally, I'm getting what I deserve two years later. That should have happened a long time ago. Maybe so. Maybe that's true. But I'll tell you this, dwelling on comparison and complaining about it for the past two years has done a number on your soul. Which brings me to the last trap, and that is worry. This is a long, longer passage it's Exodus 16, and we're going to start in verse 11. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the Israelites' complaints. Oh, he has heard their complaints. Now tell them, uh, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And that evening, vast numbers of quail Flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. And the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, It is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household. Should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little, but nothing. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered a little had enough. Each family had what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep anything until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some until the morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And Moses angry at them. So let's recap once again. God's people have been rescued from slavery and oppression. They've been led through a parted Red Sea witness the miracles of God then put them in that put them in awe of who he really is they were in the wilderness complaining that there's no water. They're comparing that what they don't have to what they used to have back in Egypt and when they were slaves. And now God is continuing to provide meat and bread, a.k.a. manna, which is like this white, flaky, coriander, seed-like, tasted like honey wafers. Anyway, and when Moses says not to gather more than you need each day, some of them ignored him, ignored what he, they, they did what they wanted. Why? Well, they didn't want to listen. Why? God had provided for them all this time, but they didn't trust him. Not with this one. Why? Because they were worried that they wouldn't have enough. They didn't trust God to provide like he had proven himself over and over and over and over again. Isn't that crazy? But what about us? What about when it comes to our money? What about when it comes to our finances? If you want to foster an environment of discontentment, then all we need to do is continue doing what, we're always, what we've always done. Complain, compare, and worry. Let me ask you this. You don't have to answer. Do you believe God is God. Do you believe that he can do anything? Have you witnessed him do things in your life and the lives of others to know that in your heart, mind, body, and soul, that he truly is the creator of this world and provider of all things? Do you believe that? Because if it's true, if you believe that, then why in the world are so many people discontent? What I've learned about discontentment is that it's a natural response to dissatisfaction. It's natural. So I complain, I compare, and I worry, and I don't need to be taught these things. Just hang out with any toddler or in any toddler room, and it's what we've been doing since we were children, right? We complain that we don't get our way or our toy. We, we, we compare that she has more than I do, and, or we cling to the things, securing that someone else won't take it away from me. No, it's mine! we've repeated these practices to this day. Discontentment isn't just taught. It's caught. It's a byproduct of our environment. But contentment, we must learn that. We cannot learn until we believe that God, that Jesus, that the life that he brings and the life that he offers is sufficient. Now, I don't, I don't mean adequate. I don't mean satisfactory, satisfactory, but I mean truly more than enough. More than enough. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus enough for you? If we believe that he is, if we believe that Jesus is enough, then we're one step closer to realizing that he's even more than that. If we believe that he's enough, then we can begin to experience true contentment. But it can't happen without him. It will not happen without him. Money, possessions, acquisitions, blessings, all the things that we own, all the things that you've earned, all the things that you've been given will never suffice until we realize that they never were designed to do so. God wasn't teaching the Israelites to to depend on manna from heaven. He wasn't teaching them to depend on just the miracles. He wasn't teaching them to depend even on Moses. God was simply teaching them that we cannot place our dependence upon those things. They are provisions. But they're not dependable because only God is. Only Jesus is. Only the one that can satisfy the soul will ever bring true contentment in the things that we own, the things that we earn, and the things that we've been given. In fact, the Apostle Paul learned this. And if you turn with me to Philippians 4, and it's up on the screen, it says this very famous passage. Not that I was ever in need, he says, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation whether it was full a full stomach or an empty one. With plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See that last part is one of the most quoted Verses in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Oftentimes, it's misinterpreted by giving an athlete the confidence that God is on his or her side and will help them defeat that opponent, which is obviously not on God's side. Right? It's tattooed, it's on our uh, eye black, it's everywhere. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is telling us that he learned something, he learned, learned. To be content. It didn't just happen. He learned to be content no matter his situation with plenty or with very little. And he had both of those things. He learned that true contentment could only come through the sufficiency of Jesus. Paul wasn't content because Jesus could just help him triumph over everything. That's not why he was content, that's not contentment. Paul was content because Jesus was all he ever really need, and he had to learn that. Money with all of its emotion, and it's a lot of emotion, money with all of its emotion will never bring that kind of contentment. Only Jesus can do that. God's, God's people were witnesses to that in the wilderness, his provisions. We have been witnesses to that in our own life. You have been. Money might buy a little bit of happiness. It might. But it will never be enough because it was never meant to be. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up with me and and I wanna end with this. So just just give me your just stay with me right now. When it comes to your finances, when it comes to your you know money, don't answer this question, but are you content? Where are you on that spectrum? I'm not asking if you make enough. I'm not asking if you're not worth all the money that you're getting paid for or not even even more. You probably are. I'm asking, are you content with what God has provided? With what you own, with what you earned, with what you've been given? If not, well, it's probably because things are out of alignment I'm a pretty symmetrical person, and and I love, I love symmetry. I love to hang things on the wall without using a level. Like, it's one of my favorite things. And like, when I walk into your house, I am totally looking at how not level your stuff is Um, because I have symmetry issues. I can't help it. I just, it just, I, I, my eyes just don't unsee it. So if you're like me, though, there's some times where I'm just like, I just can't see this one. And that's rare, but I, but there's times where I can't, I can't tell if it's level. So i got to use a level. I don't know if you ever used a level before, but depending on which way you're holding it, which way you're placing it, um, the goal is to get the bubble right in the center between those little hash marks. That means it's level, as plumb as it's going to be. Well, for us, I believe the Bible is our level. Jesus is that bubble in the center. Sometimes it's not in the center. And our money, our finances, I mean, really anything in our life, that's what we're measuring. Is it center? If Jesus is the center, it changes how we see things. He changes how we see things. He changes how, what we value. He changes the way that we look at the things that we own, the things that we've earned, and the things that have been given to us. You actually start to see, wow, I've been given a lot. And yeah, there are times where I don't feel that way. And I think it's okay to say that. Everybody's situation is different. But I know this if you can realign yourself today, if you can take God's word, take the the level, ask yourself, is Jesus at the center of my life? And if he's not, what would it take for me to mentally go there, to physically go there, to verbally go there, and for my heart to change? I truly believe If Jesus is at the center, if Jesus truly is your center, you can find contentment. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this this time, God, and I thank you that we get an opportunity to just spend this morning opening up your word and I know that sometimes when we see like the the passages in a different light it helps us it helps us take exactly what we need in that moment and I know that there's so many different people here online, in person that 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 we're all in different places we feel different things because money is very emotional what we have the limitations it doesn't feel like we want it to feel sometimes But I know this in my own life. My feelings can be fleeting. What I have to do is come back to your word and see how my life, how I'm living my life, how I'm saying things. And I know that, God, with you at the center, my life has been transformed. With you at the center, I see things. I know things that I couldn't see before because I was so blinded. That comparison and and complaining and worry, they can they can choke out our lives. And so, God, I ask that you would help us. God, help us to recenter today. Help us be help us to be recentered as we sing, as we worship you, as we get reminded of some of these truths in our life, God. And may you truly be enough. In Jesus' name, Amen.